Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I'm not smiling today, my parent. No, my... <laughs> Howdy, y'all. Um, well, I'm sure many of you have many extra extra bags of uh of halloween candy sitting around and if uh you know my place or when i when i lived at home uh you know my, my mother would buy so many extra bags that we would have halloween candy until probably after christmas and everybody would just like you know go in every day and get a hundred thousand dollar bar or something like that did you get any uh any uh, any uh trick-or-treaters uh ross in your neighborhood Zero. And I'm in a residential neighborhood, although there's a lot of college houses by too. But you know when I knew I was going to get zero? When I saw that there was, they were shutting down like the main street here for a parade. And I said, well, clearly that's that. So I did the smart thing. I never want to have that excess candy either. Look, I like candy. Don't get me wrong. But my mother already told me she overbought. So I know who's getting that candy. I'm getting part of that. So <laughs> I basically just bought a large bag of Tootsie Roll Pops like minis, right? So they, you know, that'll last $3.50 was my investment. I got zero trick-or-treaters. I feel like I'm, that's a win. Yeah. I, I basically, I, I usually buy like one bag of candy and the last, you know, the last few years, it seems to be the norm now is neighborhood parties, street parties yeah. and parades. It's, it's, I think for some- trick-or-treating right there. Yeah, for you know, I think for safety reasons and convenience more than anything, they the the door to door trick or treating has gone by the wayside. You know, I was listening. The to like, would have gone to the door. Like people would have loved to. Like, little kids love to see like a gigantic dog. But yeah, true. Um, I know that like listening to like Canadian radio and listening to like some of the, uh, you know, the, them talking about trick or treating, just as much for the kids pa- passing out uh, candy. It's like the adults, they're giving, you know, they had to, uh, I think it was uh, um, uh, one, of, one of the TSN broadcasters said he had to make a run to the LCBO to buy a couple cases of beer because the, the tradition is you give the kids the candy, you give the adults a beer. So it's, <laughs> if that were so it's true, like, there would be more adults going out there, I feel. Yeah, so it's like a bar crawl almost like. Yeah, I like that. Um, now, um I uh, I went out last night to enjoy a couple of the uh, the NHL games, which we'll talk about in a minute. Well, it's good that you get out, Mike. I always say you should get out more. And and the World Series, and have to say that the person who was sitting a couple seats down from me that was pumping their fist and clapping their hands every time the Astros did anything positive, I really would like to see them tonight just to do one of these. Um, because the because the the Dodgers uh, got to, to Justin Verlander in the sixth inning, and the controversial thing in this game, Russ, was pulling Verlander ninety five pitches, yeah, in the top of the seventh, down two to one after he'd been dominant for a pinch hitter. The game only ended three one. Peterson hits a home run, but the way Verlander was pitching, it was 
questionable. What, what did you think of that call by? Uh, it was questionable. I, I felt like that was a questionable call, but I will say this. Does that mean now in game seven, he could pitch an inning? It might. Mm-hmm. Um, also, I can't kill AJ Hinch considering they didn't score any runs after. So he would have lost anyhow. Right. So well, I, now here's the thing about, but, but again, in defense of Dave Roberts, who pulled Rich Hill ridiculously early, it worked out for him. And and so this is where I, I think Dave Roberts gets way too much uh, surus. People could look up that word, T-S-U-R-U-S, I believe it is, um, for the kind of managing he does. I think he's doing a good job. I do. Now, the thing about the Dodgers is I still, in my family, there's still Dodger angst because my mother grew up a Brooklyn Dodger fan. She watched Jackie Robinson play at Ebbets Field. That was their neighborhood. She lived in that neighborhood. And then they moved out. It was Robert Moses' fault. It wasn't, you know, the uh, Dodgers' fault. But yes. they still moved, right? And so the Dodgers were never the same in my family since then. So I could never root for the Dodgers. Yeah, the great Robert Moses who made the made the waterfront in downtown Buffalo a bunch of friggin' highways. Yeah. And that's yeah. what he did. It's Robert Moses – it's the craziest thing from Buffalo all the way down to Long Island in different areas. There's a Robert Moses highway or freeway or something. And it's just a joke. Yeah. I actually, the funny thing is I don't, I, the, the highway in, in Niagara Falls, which is named the Robert Moses parkway or highway. Yeah. Um, I don't think he had anything to do with it. I think he, it was named after him in honor of him. Yeah. There's no uh, honor there. Yeah, then no, there isn't. And honestly, when when you look at other municipalities around the country that uh, you know, uh, you have property that's worth millions and millions and billions of dollars, like waterfront property in Buffalo, you've got highway after highway after highway right along the water, and businesses put there. I mean, it it was basically a waste, and I, I don't think it did anything great for for Buffalo. So anyway, um, so yeah, we will have a game seven tonight. Um. I think all hands in any sport are amazing. I've covered, I want to say three or four in the Stanley cup. I think three. And then I covered the Rangers in one against Tampa that time. And I covered the Rangers against Pittsburgh was a game seven in Pittsburgh. So I've covered a few, you know, quite a few game sevens and there's nothing like it because they're very unforgiving. Just even the most minute mistake can, can equal a loss. Now I know some football fans will say, "Well, that's the Super Bowl," but but this is different. This is different because it's all leading up to it. The Super Bowl is one game where it is very fluky. This is a series where you could see that there's a lot of things that led up to this. You know, like With the whoever. only thing, the only thing in football that comes close to this, and it's not seven games, but when you're playing, like say for example, the Bills back in the day. They played the AFC Championship game against Miami, a team that they had faced at home and on the road because they were in the same division. There, you know, it's sort of got like a, a series type of feel, even though it's not all in a row. It was during the season. But they played them at home. They played them on the road. Now they're playing them in the playoffs. There's sort of a finality there, and this was, you know, I think similar. But when you play seven games in a row, hockey, baseball, basketball, I mean, animosity builds up. Tension builds up, rivalry builds up, the familiarity of playing against the same team. You start to know, you know, how to get players out or what what bothers them. So that'll all come to come to the surface tonight. And I, honestly, I mean, and not to get into the controversy, the thing I am looking forward to 
Not that he's going to plunk him, but you Darvish pitching against Gurriel tonight. The crowd. Yeah, he plunk him. He's too much of a gentleman. He no, really. No, but, but, he, but, I got to say, his response was amazing. And even though I've given you Darvish some some knocks on his pitching as a human being, he's clearly a a, a number one guy. Like it's just, I, I really appreciated the way he handled that. But all right, let's get to hockey. Okay. Hello, hockey world. Today is Wednesday, November first, twenty seventeen. <laughs> Very eck like. I'm Russ Cohen from Sportsology. It was an homage, and I'm Michael Agello, and this is the Hockey Buzzcast here on HockeyBuzz.com. Uh, just came over the wire here, and it, before we get into the games itself, uh, Arizona Coyote center Clayton Keller, who led all rookies with nine goals and 15 points in 13 games, has been named NHL Rookie of the Month for October. Um, you know, we've talked about Keller. We've talked about how good of a player we've thought he's going to be. Yeah, we've been Russ. talking about him for a year and a half or more on this yes. show. So, you know, it's sort of a validation. We knew that this guy was a really good player, and he's yeah. – Sort of, sort of proving it right now. But I also think it's great in a way that he um, he wins this being a minus in the plus-minus column. So it does show you that people understand that he is actually a good defensive player, but his team is not. Yes. It's tough to not be a minus when you have Aiden Hill uh, as your goaltender or Louis Domingue with an 856 save percentage. Um, There's a worse save percentage than that in hockey, Mike. There is a worse one than both of those guys. Um, I, I think I know who it is, but uh, remind me. It's it's Maxime Lagasse. Oh, yes. Well, He's got well, an 8-16, which is like hard to believe you could even play in the NHL with that. But Well, you know, four yeah. goals and 11 shots in his debut uh, against the Islanders. That hurts a little bit. Um, he gave up another four yesterday. Yeah, we'll, we'll, talk, we'll talk about, we'll talk about that, that game in a minute. Let's start with the Coyotes game. They – uh, the Coyotes uh, lose to the Detroit Red Wings 5-3. to three. So the winning streak's over. <laughs> the winning streak is over. They're, a, they're an impressive one. It's ones across the board, 1-11-1 for the, for the Coyotes. And, you know, now, okay, they got to win. They, but the thing is, it could be the most inauspicious win that you can get in the fact that they blew the lead late and then won in overtime. But the, it's a win all the same. Then they come back next night and they lose to Detroit, who's not one of the great teams in this league. Um, I know that you know we talked about Tockett and and I mean Kevin doesn't Kevin Allen doesn't seem to think that his job is in danger at all. But I mean, how much rope if it's, this continues? Who was in that yesterday? I believe it was uh, Hill. I'll tell. I think they are. I think Kevin's right, and I think they are waiting for Ronta to come back. So. He's got one more shot with who they presume to be their number one goalie. So I think that's as much rope as he has is with that. I know everybody figures, I oh, will give him half a season. But what if after half a season they've got five wins? No, it was Wedgwood. Wedgwood started again. Okay. So what, you know what I mean? Like what if after half a season they have five wins, right? I mean, here's the thing that I took away from Arizona the other night, even in a win. Their power play is disorganized. That's for sure. They didn't – They have, with the guys they had, they should have a way better power play. Their game plan is great for a couple periods, but then the Flyers figured it out. If you stand up everybody at the blue line and you just and, – and look, it's working against the Leafs too, right? If you do that kind of thing and to disrupt players carrying the puck in the zone and everything, the way to get around that is 
you either have to pierce the zone, one guy on his own, and go deep and then look to pass it, or send somebody in the corner and when you pierce the zone, get that puck right to him, or even do a few stretch passes to sort of keep him honest. I think I think it's too easy to beat, and I think teams are figuring this out about Arizona, and because they don't have a perfect defense, they have a good defense, they're getting beat. Yeah, I mean, there's, I mean, there are ways, there are ways to take advantage of a, a bad defense. I mean, for for opponents of the Leafs, you know, dumping it in doesn't really work because they actually have mobile mobile defensemen. It's more pressure. It's more choking off them up the middle. More what San Jose did to them on Monday was basically put four across the red line and say, okay, dump it in. And you know, San Jose's bigger, and 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 the Leafs don't want to dump it in. They want to carry it with speed through the zone. And when, when you keep fighting against that, you keep giving up the puck, and they kept turning it over. You know, Arizona's in the same situation. It's like, I mean, they, they, I mean, they actually have, if you, if you look at the lineup, they actually have a pretty good defense. Although we do have to point out, because even the chat room's talking about this, Oliver ekman Larson is banged up. So right now he's not the same player that you're used to seeing. He's playing hurt. Yeah, and Yarmolson was hurt in Philadelphia, so I, 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 I don't believe he played. I don't believe he even played, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, that was the pairing that they were going to rely on, you know, a, a lot. And now you've got one guy limping around the other guy out of the lineup because he took a, a high stick to the face. Um, the game that you watched a lot, and it, I have to say I was, I was uh, misdirected by the Vegas – uh, Twitter feed because I was watching that game and um, Vegas was in the lead and Perron scores the penalty shot goal and they're up yeah. four to two and I'm out I'm out and they didn't have that game on that was the one game they didn't have on they were concentrating mostly on the World Series and uh, I think Arizona Detroit was on and the Vegas Twitter feed I can't I can't I'm only doing this verbatim it was like Vegas has only lost games when the score was six, three. And they says Vegas is, you know, basically insinuating Vegas was winning. Right. And the only way that they were going to lose is if they lose the game six, three. Uh, I inter I interpreted that as they had won the game. I didn't even look at the clock. I thought, okay, well I, you know, yeah. that, that I turned off the game or I wasn't watching the game after the Perron penalty shot. And then all of a sudden I see the Rangers coming back and the See, Rangers. that's where, you know, on Twitter, you do have to sort of be careful by being too cute. Right, and exactly. At times last night, I looked at all their tweets today for some reason because I was searching for something, and they were too cute. You know, like, hey, the wrong team scored. Hey, you know, it's like, you know what? There's a little too much of that, I think. I don't mind having fun. I think they should have fun. But at some point, if there really are people following that Twitter feed because they can't get the game, you know, saying stuff like the wrong team scored and not even putting who scored is you're not doing anybody any favors, even as the opposing team. You're not. Right. I mean, you know, it was cute, but when you get when you have Shecky Green's understudy doing your yeah. doing your Twitter feed, I mean that that can be a little bit annoying. It now, uh, you know, we you had uh, uh, Vegas leading four to two after two periods. Rangers come back with four in the third. Kreider, Butchnevich. Uh, Zabinajad and Grabner for a six-four victory. Still and a horrible win. I mean, yeah. it is for a lot of reasons. Yeah, as you said, Maxim Lagasse gives up six goals. Yeah. Um, I mean, Lagasse. Yeah, that's right. I said four earlier, but I forgot it was six. Um, 
here's the thing. Legacy is an, an AHL goalie at best, and they couldn't really solve him for a while. The Lundqvist did, you know, as, it, as pointed out in the chat room, five on five, he played a good game, but he should have stopped the penalty shot. But I always felt like Lundqvist was money on penalty shots, and so I looked it up. And because I was even talking to someone offline when they said he's not that good on penalty shots. And as of last February, he was six for 12 or 12 for six, however you want to put it. And I feel like if you're, if you're 50% for a long-term goalie, like what are we 12, 13 years in the league, mm -hmm. I feel like you're above average at 50% on penalty shots. Cause I think the odds are with the shooter. I don't have a, a definite fact based thing on that, but I'm just saying, I think we see the shooters winning that battle more often than the goalies. But I just saw the size of the five hole and just remarked on another show that it looked like John Davidson's five hole before he went to the Stanley Cup. I get it. He had that great year. But John Davidson's five hole as a kid was the yeah. biggest five hole I'd ever seen in my, you know, in my short hockey life yeah. at that point. You could drive a VW micro bus through that five hole. Yeah. Um, now, the funny thing was, I mean, I, I, I watched some of this game and, the, the, you know, Lundquist made a nice save. But then kicked it right out to Riley Smith on the one goal. So it was. But that's the thing. But we we've talked about this. So when Lundqvist does the read and react thing, you have to know as his defenseman that he's not gloving everything and he's not stopping the play on everything. And when they're scoring on third and fourth shots, that's on the defense. Yeah, you, you got to be able to clear. Yeah, yeah, you got to be. <clears throat> you got to be able to clear. And I guess uh, Riley Smith was so lazy on one of those that the puck literally touched his stick. And he still didn't do anything to get rid of it. He it should not play a top pairing ever, ever, was, ever, ever in the NHL. It was on that goal. So he was doing his brother a little bit of a favor. Yeah. Um, now, uh, the, other, the other game on, on the night was a 2-1 to one victory for the Winnipeg Jets over the Minnesota Wild. Uh, you know, Matthew Dumba uh, with a giveaway that uh, gets Nick Ehlers the game-winning goal. Uh, Connor Hullabuck is now 6-0-1, Russ. Gee, I wonder who has him in our fantasy league. I'm not. Now, you were – I think you were at the um, the NHL rookie photo shoot where Hullabuck was there. Were you at that one? Uh, no, I wasn't. No? Okay. So something really funny happened in that one. He um, – and I have a picture of it. If I can, I'll retweet it again later. But literally, I guess he wanted to make sure he was going to leave after, like, the shinny game was over. So he – he brought everything he had with him down to the locker room, and no one helped him, right? So he literally was a goalie in full equipment with his arms full walking down steps. It was the funniest thing, a lot of steps in that building, as you know. And, and so it was, it was funny, man. But this kid can play. Don't ever think for a minute. Again, he might be 25 years old, about 24, 25, but that's still pretty young in a goalie career, and he's still figuring it out. He is. Yeah, no, I'm trying to pull up because it's the only way um, with that he can usually uh, convert over to the uh, – to show something on the on his screen. But I, I, I don't have the ability to do that, so I'm okay. just going to pull up the pull up the picture here and hope that people can see it. Um, this is the jersey released. Let's see if we can – can you see that? The contrast on that's a little off. Maybe hold it back a little there. Uh, they yeah. have an idea. It's tough. Sorry about that. Um, but anyway, yeah, it's the reflection from the light is tough. But anyway, the if you saw for a brief second there, if you go to Stephen Wino's uh, uh, Twitter uh, feed, you'll see the Team USA 
uh, jersey that's just released for the Olympics. And similar to the one in 2014, it's got this, it's got the crest, the small crest, almost soccer-like, which I can't stand, on the top uh, right-hand, you know, with the USA going across, and a multicolored arm, white, light blue, and dark blue. Yeah, it's got flames like the old Bam Bam Bigelow shirt that he yeah, used to wear in the WWF. I, I said, did they get a sale on these from Dick's Sporting Goods? Because that's really what it looked like. I, I will mean, say this. On actual humans, there was a picture that I retweeted on my Twitter account. People want to follow at Sportsology. Um, it looked better on human beings. Now, I will say this. The women's team were wearing them on the ice. No, no equipment or anything. Just had the, the jerseys on. But it looked like they took the shot from, like, above. <laughs> so to hide, to hide the arms. That's what they did. And I don't think I fully grasped how the arms looked, even in that shot. And so I think, it looked I think bad. It is weird. Yeah. Now, now, strangely enough, you know, because sometimes Hockey Canada seems to follow suit. This time, I saw Hockey Canada, uh, Team Canada's jersey. It was pretty. It was pretty basic, pretty standard, uh, with the red maple leaf with the white. It was, you know, classy, classy and and nice. Yeah. I don't understand why Team USA has to go really – they try to go modern. They try to go drastic. And it, really, I mean, you're better off going back and wearing the 1980 jerseys and just, you know what I'm saying? Go that would have been a good idea considering the scope of the way these Olympics are. I, I would have appreciated that. Yeah, to go throwback rather than go yeah. super modern look but like – Whatever. I mean, we don't know what the kids want, man. You know, millennials may buy them up like crazy and, and, and say, Mike, you know what? Screw you. <laughs> Great. Well, screw you. I was going to say an Italian curse, but then I, I decided not. Um, yeah. Now, um, I was going to do and, the tooth thing. No, I, we don't do the tooth thing. We do the arm thing. We no, do but it. the tooth thing was in my neighborhood. That, that's not an Italian thing? Uh, I yeah, think it, they do this yeah, a lot. That one, yeah. yeah. Um, okay, in some <laughs> news here. Uh, Good that we're teaching the kids. As, you know, as we're flipping off our fan base here. Yes. By the way, in, in the chat, if you have any questions – uh, put them in there. We'll answer them at the end of the show. Uh, the the Bruins have been victimized by injuries uh, this year. Tuka Rask was out for a while. He's back now. David Backus is out eight weeks with he had to have surgery on his colon. According to John Shannon, it was diverticulitis, which I believe. Oh yeah, that's which that's is a digestive uh, disease. Yeah, it's sort I sort of a par paralyzing of of certain sections of your digestive tract. Yeah. So they have to remove the remove the sections because we as normal human beings would be like in bed most of the time or walking around like not even wanting to work. This guy was playing hockey with that. Yeah, so I mean that's I wish him a speedy recovery. He really is a great guy. He owns a uh, dog rescue uh, outfit in um, in St. Louis, and and it's amazing that he completely funds this dog rescue. And so I, I really do hope, wish he gets a speedy recovery. But this really does puts a damper on the Bruins because they're already like a, a 500 team. They're gonna have to call Kenny Agostino back. Like they just literally sent him down yesterday. They they're gonna have to call him back up. Well, I, I know that they, they they mentioned the name of who they called up, and I'm looking it up right now just to make sure. I think it was. Uh, Jordan Schwartz, okay, uh, who I believe was with Arizona the last couple of years. I mean, I, I, for some reason, I you know spelled S Z W R W A R Z, right. not not 
Schwartz is the usual spelling. Right. They called, they called him up. So, um, okay. now I want to, cause you know, you're, I mean, I, I pretend to be in the draft. I, I, you know, interested in the draft and I am when it gets close to draft time, but yeah. that's something that you just like most people, I mean, to be honest. Right. But you know, you, you know, you're always in it. You do your prospect show on Sirius XM and yeah. you go to see college games and junior games and, You'll be at the World Junior, as will I, this year. Um, ISS came out with their listing of uh, their top 31 uh, prospects, forwards, defense, and top two goaltenders. Um, No surprise that the number one ranked right now is Rasmus Dahlin. Mm-hmm. The Russian, uh, the Russian, the Swedish. Especially since Svechnikov has an injury, like that's gonna, that's a no-brainer right now. Right. Now, Darlene, uh, I believe, is playing in the Karjala Cup, and it's uh, sound. I mean, he's definitely going to be in the World Junior. Yeah, no, he's definitely going to be in the World Juniors. I just retweeted a really nice goal from the SHL. If people want to see it, go check my timeline. He just he had a terrific goal just just last night. I think that was. The question is, he might, you know, with the, with the situation with the Olympics, he, he might, might play in the Olympics. Olympics. Yeah, yeah, he, he and, and you know that's that'll be a feather in his cap. But you know. This is a guy, I mean, I believe he's 6'3", 6'4". I mean, he's not a small defenseman. Yeah, 6'2", 6'2", 181. He's not small. There's room. No, no, no. He's already got, like, the the framework of a pro body, and I don't think he's going to be, like, an overly muscular guy. So I think, you know, you might be looking at 10 more pounds on him. Yeah, so you're talking 6'3", you know, 6'3", 6'4", 195, right, which is, you know, not good. Right, it's not Victor Hedman because he's no. built like a linebacker. But, but. but you don't want everybody like that. Like no. there is a speed aspect that when you bulk up too much, it does affect you. We've seen this happen in sports. I remember when Tim Tebow became a Jet. They said, "Hey, we're going to want you to play some fullback." He puts on all this muscle, he can't get out of the backfield. Like it just it does affect you on the ice the same way if you put on too much bulk. Now Svechnikov, as you mentioned, is injured right now. Um, Probably not going to play in the World Juniors, but we don't know that for sure. Well, he got injured the last the, – he got injured about a week ago. Yeah. And they said it was a two-month injury. So there's right. not a lot – there's not a lot of t- time. No. So, yeah, more than, more than likely he's not going to be in the World Junior. But, right. Um, but he's ranked number two. Uh, Brady Kachuk is ranked three. That's Matthew Kachuk's younger brother, the son yeah. of Keith Kachuk. Um, you know, they have him listed as 6'3". 196. Yeah, that's about right for him. But he's going to be bigger. He's not going to be as big as his dad, but I think he'll he'll probably be around 220. Yeah. Um his dad, let's face it, by the end of his career was probably 250. Yeah, well, conservative conservative. Yeah. Uh number 4. And I see his dad around. He's a great guy. I'm not trying. Yeah, to no, no. I'm not, a, I mean, he scored over 500 goals. He's an amazing hockey player. Yes, he is. But I, you always remember the fact that when he came back from the lockout, he he had to, he needed a little extra time to get back into shape. It was widely publicized. Yes, it was. That's why it's easily remember, remembered. Yeah. Uh, Philip Zadina uh, from Halifax is listed fourth overall. Yeah, Halifax has, has some great players this year, and he's one of them. Uh, I don't know if I would have him fourth, but that's okay. It's early. I don't have a great opinion on him yet. I'll be honest. Now he, um, pr- it's funny, uh, and this is somebody we saw at the All All American Prospects game, Oliver Wallstrom. 
Yeah. Uh, jumped from 11th in their last ranking to 5th. So he's- well, here's the funny thing. All right. And this is where rankings get fluky when you do them so early. A year and a half ago, Wallstrom was right up in the top three. Like, that's where he was. People were looking at him that way. Then he didn't do great. What was he? He was in the world championships, right? Uh, I believe so. Yeah. Didn't do great in that. And then was lukewarm this summer in the, um, in the trials that they have up in Lake Placid, you know? So then all of a sudden, Wallstrom dropped like a stone. And by, by dropping like a stone, meaning dropping out of the top five, more like into the top 20. Mm-hmm. Then all of a sudden, in the All-American Prospects game, everybody's like, holy crap, Wallstrom really looks like the player we thought he was, and they were back up there again. And so he's just getting this yo-yo effect, but he definitely could end up in the top five. I mean, he's that kind of guy. He has that – I mean, you, you saw him play a little bit, so did I, and I've seen him play even before this in other tournaments. He's a very physically imposing guy for a young guy. Like, he really – but he doesn't play that way per se because he has a lot of finesse in his game too. But he's a very humble kid for the kind of talent I think he has. When you talk to him, he doesn't even act like he's a guy who is all that talented. But he wants to score, no doubt about it. And you saw at the end of that All-American Prospects game as an example, he took four or five pretty great shots yeah. to try and win that game. And that's the kind of guy you want. And so I think he will continue to inch up in people's rankings rather than go down. Yeah, I was very impressed. Um, uh, number six is Quinn Hughes, uh, who also uh, shined very very brightly at the All-American Prospect game. His brother, uh, Jack, uh, was the number – I think he was the fifth fifth overall pick in the OHL draft. Yeah, and he's wowing them with the under-17s. Like, Yeah, and he decided not, not, not to go to the CHL but to go to the U.S. Well, uh, when US. I was covering the USHL Fall Classic, people were going to see him – in the under-17s, and, yeah, he was dynamite, and he's been dynamite all year. But Quinn Hughes, I mean, in, the, in that prospect game, you know, very creative, jumped into the t- attack, very speedy, good, really good hockey IQ. You know, he's not – he's not he, – you know, he he's 5'9 and a half, 170 pounds. So. But you don't really notice his size or, or lack of it on the ice. That's the funny thing. He backs people off with his skill and with his decision-making. So, yeah, I mean, in the defensive zone, it's probably going to be a factor with him being able to try to prevent people from uh, getting to the net. But He outthinks you know, the competition. That's, where, that's, I think, even a greater gift than his speed and his skill is he, he's a step ahead. He knows what to do before he gets there. He's dissecting what you're setting up in front of him already. And I think that's his, his greatest gift. So it wouldn't shock me if he goes higher than even what they have him ranked at, if a team is really looking for defense, then, you know, he could trump Brady Kachuk and it wouldn't shock me because again, in this day and age, you're only going to get one shot, maybe two shots in every 10 years at getting a number one, true number one offensive move, you know, puck moving defenseman who could maybe put up 50 points. I don't think I'm overstating that because, you know, 50 points in the NHL is hard to do for a defenseman these days. And so, you know, how many of those guys are out there? So if you have a shot at that guy, and the argument is, if you have a shot at that kind of guy, does that trump uh, a guy who could score 70 points a year as a forward? And I think it does. Yeah. 
you know, back in the day, I know people killed me, sorry, for the McKinnon-Seth Jones thing, but I never thought Seth Jones was a high-point guy. And I no. think that's where people got fooled is they thought he was going to be a high-point guy, where I knew McKinnon would be a pretty high-point guy of his peer group. I think there's still room for the Seth Jones type of defenseman, yeah. though. I mean, and, you know, he may score 30 to 35 points, but with his size, yeah. with the, you know, with his skating ability, he's going to be a dual threat in his own zone in terms of you know being able to clear the front of the net and and get the puck out of the zone and participate in the offensive end. I mean, that's why you know I was so gung ho for the Leafs to get Liljegren because I think Liljegren has an outside chance of being a 50 point defenseman. He's got yeah. the skating ability, you know, he's got the offensive ability. It's probably going to take him a year or two to adjust to North America, but I yeah, think once he adjusts to North America, it gets a little stronger, gets rid of the few hiccups once in a while turnovers that he has in his game, he could be that guy. Okay, just to complete out the top ten here, uh, Joe Valeno, who was the, the the player who requested exceptional status uh, in in the CHL. I think and he thought he was the number one two or three years ago. Yeah, does this smack of a little? I mean, I'm not trying to I'm not trying to beat on Valeno because I've only seen him play once or twice. But doesn't this smack a little bit of Sean Day, where like they they requested exceptional status on him, and then he's good, but he's not as great as everybody thought he was yeah, going to be. To be honest, I wish they'd abolish that. I, I don't like exceptional status. I, I I don't look at the end of the day, we're rushing kids too much anyhow, and so I don't think it's a good idea when you rush them into that league either. I don't. Yeah, I mean, yes, it's it's fine and it works for Tavares and McDavid, but yeah, they had may have maybe have to be a little more discriminating because those generational players. I mean, I don't know. Sean Sean Day was was monstrous when they gave him exceptional status at what fifteen or sixteen. He was six, yeah. two or six three at yeah. that age. So they figured physically he was developed enough to be able to yeah. handle himself. So. But you have to remember the mental side of things, too. That's an important sure. thing. Sure. Uh, number eight is Adam Boquist, a defenseman, uh, another Swede, uh, playing in the Swedish Junior League. Yeah. Um, number – Boquist, I believe he's um, Jesper's brother. Yeah, I believe so. And and number nine is another brother brother of another NHL prospect, Ryan McLeod, the younger brother of Michael McLeod, who's also playing for – Mississauga in the OHL. Where Michael played, right? Where Michael played. And uh, and number 10 is Rasmus Kupari, a center uh, from Karpat in Finland. Yeah, so, so for people, I don't have anything on him. Or if I do, it's maybe a little bit from like the under-18s. I'm going to have to look at my notes. But I won't get a real good beat on him until after the World Juniors. And then yeah. I'll have a good idea. Yeah, and there's a couple – and there's a couple um, – Couple players with NHL um, connection. I don't know if Riley Sutter is a relate is any re is related to the Sutter. I'm not sure Sutter family. I'm, I'm I'm just taking a guess on that one, but I do know uh, Benoit Olivier Gruel. I'm assuming that's the son of the of the the junior coach. Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, and now he, uh, Benoit Gruel is coaching uh, the Syracuse Crunch in the American Hockey League. Uh, Jack McBain is the son of Andrew McBain, the former NHLer. So you're you're gonna see, and we all, it always it always really interests me to see the second generation. And we obviously yeah, and there's a ton of them. There really are. I mean, it's just every year now there's a ton of them. Yeah, and as we saw in the prospects game, Michael Pavanka's son was uh, part of uh, part of. Yeah, I think it's Jake, and he's good. Yeah. So, um, do we have any questions in the chat? Yeah, there was there's one obviously that's gonna always, you know. Just like with Leaf talk right now, once you talk New York Rangers trade, things get crazy. Okay. And, and so 
you know, the question is, hold on, I got to find it. Uh, do, we, do you think a panic move is coming for the Rangers? Brandon asked this. And is the Shaw rumor real? And this Shaw rumor is really annoying. I don't want him on this team at all. Well, here's the thing. I mean, again, Brandon probably would have said the same thing about Sean Avery. And I think Sean Avery had a good career as a Ranger. I do. Now, he was trying to redeem himself for what happened in Dallas, right? And right. so I think, was the Dallas, wait, was Dallas before or after? It was before, wasn't it? Um, I, yes. Yes. So, so, you know, that kept him in line for a while. And whether he had this love-hate with Tortorella, he still performed. I right. think Shaw would perform. I think, yeah, the salary is a little high. It really is about what you're giving up asset-wise to get him. That's right. really the key. It's never going to hurt you having Andrew Shaw on your roster. And, you know, Rangers fans tend to want to have more size and grit. That's just like a thing that's built into them. But I don't think it would kill them if they picked them up. But, again, I'm not giving up Brady Shea to do it. So if they want Brady Shea, that's a non-starter. Now, if you want to go Chris Kreider for Andrew Shaw, that's a tough one because, you know, Kreider at times has just lacked that extra finish that we all thought he had to sort of be like a 35-goal guy. And well, so the question is, have, have, the, have the Rangers soured that much on, on Kreider that they would do something like that? I don't think yet. And we got to remember Jeff Gordon is the one who scouted him when he was with, with Boston, and he was playing in uh, Boston College, I think, Kreider at the time. So mm -hmm. he's going to give him a lot of rope because that's his guy. Yeah, I mean, the, the, I don't buy the Andrew Shaw rumor simply because we know that the Rangers, at least in the short term, are looking to plug the hole up the middle that was created by the step-on deal. And, you know, okay, you can do, you can do that. But Shaw's not really. I mean, he may be able to play center, but he's not a great center. I, I don't. I don't think he's a number two. I think at best he's a number three if you put him up the middle. He just joins in a group of players that right now they have already that can play center, that can play wing, but probably are better as wingers like Kevin Hayes and JT yeah. Miller. And I don't know whether whether he really improves them a lot. I mean, Kevin Hayes proved again last night that he is just a mess hockey IQ wise. He just makes some of the dumbest plays. One of the goals was clearly his fault. He he just never has a great handle on things. He really doesn't. And or if one, I'm not sure if one of the goals was his fault or was he the one at fault for the penalty shot because he kept hooking. And may he may have been the guy that kept hooking on the penalty shot. But either way, he had a horrible game. And he can't play center. He can't. And now that the I, I'm going to look up his faceoff percentage because now that they've revised the rule, I'd be shocked if he has a good number. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, and if and if if the focus of the focus of the Rangers, because you know, as we said yesterday, Larry Brooks reported that Glenn Sather, Sean Feld, and somebody else from the Rangers were were at the Habs uh, um, Ottawa Senators game, and that was what sort of spurred along these potential rumors of a deal. Um, if you look at the if you look at the Canadians. Um, I don't think Shaw is an answer for what the Rangers need. I think Galchenyuk is more of an answer to what they need, and maybe the maybe the with the fresh off the three year contract being signed, the, the he he might even come cheaper than a guy like Shaw because well he would I think he would come cheaper. He actually Hayes is at fifty percent, which is five percent you know like almost five percent more than last year. So I got I'll cut him a break on that. Uh, you know I don't want him to become Kevin Stevens though Gal Galchenyuk, and you know that's. Yeah. To me, it could go down, you know, the bright lights well, of Broadway could go down that and road. That, 
and that's all contingent on whether Mario Tremblay was telling the truth right. or whether he was being a sensationalist. Well, it hasn't been refuted, so we have to assume there's some truth in it. Yeah, and and if that's the case, yeah, maybe he maybe he's better being traded to Colorado or someplace like that. Um, I, I will say this. For all the people that are saying they need to fix the defense, they do, but they don't need more defensemen. That's not the problem. The problem is Lindy has had no idea what to do with the guys he has. If he just comes up with two good pairings, he could figure this out. But clearly this is an issue where their defense is still askew, and I'm still putting a fair amount of blame on him. I mean, there's no way to know if this was true, but I'll ask it anyway. If they would have lost that game, they were losing 4-2 to in the third, going into the third period. If they had lost to Vegas with a fourth-string goalie in, in that, do you think we would have heard that Elaine Vigneault had been fired today? You know what? I'm now going to say no, only because if really you were going to fire him for those reasons, I would have fired him after this game anyhow because the same problems existed in this game that have right. been existing all year, except they got a win because they did play against a bad goalie. But well, if you think about it, everything that you you were looking at was still problematic. When they were down 4-2, they looked as bad as they've looked all year for that up to that point. Mm -hmm. And so they're a team that does battle back, but the only reason they battle back is because they give it up all the time. Yeah, and and you can you can't believe that there's a possibility of a trade without them because if they're if they're actively looking for a trade, that means they're looking to make a move before they fire the coach. Correct. Usually, the so, trade preempts firing of a coach. Right. So, um, if, unless there's any other uh, questions in the chat, uh, we'll go over the the tonight's games uh, briefly here. Go over the one that features the two big. Big time players first because I want to chat about that. Okay, um, there's five games tonight. The the big marquee match, and hopefully that will not be a reflection of the last time these two teams played because it was a rather dull affair. It was. Yeah, it was. You know, for all the buildup of the uh, and by the way, this is not also the, this is not the game on NBC. The game on NBC is. Flyers Blackhawks, which we'll talk about in a second. Yeah, that Pittsburgh, was my big issue. That's my big issue too. It Pittsburgh, is. okay, Pittsburgh Edmonton. They meet twice within a week, and neither game is on NBC. It's a fail. I mean, that's it's an abject failure. And and I brought it up. I was on you know SiriusXM this morning, and I wasn't sure what the national game was, and and they weren't sure either for a second. They looked it up. It's a double they, header. It's yeah. a double freaking no header. What's the second game? Second game is is Nashville San Jose. I mean, here's the thing: if you're going to build Chicago and the Flyers as a rivalry game because they faced each other in the Stanley Cup, nothing could be further than the truth. And I'm not sure that that's what the way they're going with it, but there's certainly it's going to be a storyline the same way they keep showing the anchor bar in football. Yeah, it's it's going to be they're going to do it. They're going to show. The, the Patrick Kane goal, right? I mean, they're gonna do it. Of course, of course. But uh, but no, I mean, it's it it's more it's more than that. It's it's two big television markets. It's two top five television markets, and they'll get local viewers, so they'll get higher ratings. But the game that people want to watch is, is the, the best game. is the best player in the game against the second best player in the game, and I won't won't say which one is which, but that you know. Crosby versus McDavid. Now, granted, the previous match was boring, but more than likely, this one won't be because the Here's, first one. Up. I'm going to give you something where, if I were a dad, 
which I would be an awesome dad, of course. There's not even a question. Because uh, <laughs> Kaya would tell you that I'm an awesome dad. Um, Perla would too. She's sleeping behind me, she would tell you. But here's the thing. <laughs> if I were a dad, I'm, I'm glad to see the Tang's really working. Um, <laughs> here's what I would say. This game starts at 7, right? The Flyers? Uh, eight. eight. Oh, it's 8. What time does the other game start, the Pittsburgh one? Uh, 8.30. 8.30. Okay. So either way, you're going up against the World Series, right? Yes. But at least with the other game, with the Pittsburgh-Edmonton game, if I'm a dad, I'm going to flip when they're going to like a long break or something's happening in the baseball game to that game so I can show my son before he goes to sleep because like by 9 o'clock, I guess most kids are asleep. He can see two of the best players to ever play the game. And, and that is a lost opportunity every time you don't show these guys on national te television in the United States. Yeah, I agree. I, agree. It's, it, I mean, honestly, it, it, if – and maybe contractually the NHL can't do this since it's NBC's night and they're uh -huh. having a doubleheader. But either the NHL, when they did their scheduling, should have not had Pittsburgh-Edmonton not be used on NBC and maybe uh, played at a later time on NHL Network because that would drive traffic to NHL Network. You know, people would want to watch Crosby yeah. versus McDavid. Yeah. Anything is better than it being on, you know, sport, uh, uh, whatever ATTSNPT is, which is what it says on the – I don't know what that is. If that's – you know, it's good. So it's got to be local Pittsburgh broadcast and probably Sportsnet Ontario or Sportsnet Pacific. Right. Uh, in, in, in Canada. It's, it's just, it's ridiculous. Well, anyway, so that's one game. Uh, as we said, Philly and Chicago is the NBC game. Um, we've got Devils, uh, the, the Red Hot Devils, the New Jersey Red Devils uh, against the Red Hot Vancouver Canucks. Um, Nashville and San Jose and the game that most people in Southern Ontario will be watching uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs uh, facing their old coach, Randy Carlisle, and the Anaheim Ducks. So I hear now they're, they're juggling the lines again now for that one, right? Yes. Well, first of all, okay, um, Ryan Kessler has been out for most of the year. Ryan Getzloff is back on the injured reserve, so the Leafs sort of catch a break facing that. But that, they can't let up against this team because it's still without, without Getzloff, without Kessler, they, they have a lot of talent up front. They do. Uh, um, and no Cam Fowler. I mean, this is a this is and, huge right. losses, and they still have won four out of the last five. Yeah, and the, and Toronto's got to take advantage of that. Now Toronto has lost three in a row. Uh, Babcock for the third straight game shuffled the lines at practice yesterday. He had he shifted Patrick Marlowe to center, which is not where they wanted to play him. They demoted Tyler Bozak to the fourth line. Uh, a lot of the veteran guys, especially the ones in the last week or so, the ones who are UFA at the end of the year have not been playing well. Leo Komarov hasn't been playing well. JVR has sort of slowed down. Uh, Bozak has had some bad games and has been shifted to the fourth line. Right and uh, and right, you know, right now Babcock is just shuffling through, looking for winning combos. The only line that he hasn't uh, messed with is the Matthews line because they produced. So yeah, see, this yeah. is a game where Carlisle will definitely play it close to the vest. Will play a, a tight checking game and and try and win this game mostly with a physical battle. I feel and players like Maroon will be, you know, shit disturbers in this game and trying to, you know, do things in the crease. I think 
I think that's the way they're going because they are missing three of their best players. Who's in net, though? Is it Ryan Miller? No, it's probably going to be Gibson. Miller played against Carolina, so I would assume it's going to be Gibson. Okay. And so, it'll be, and it'll be Freddie Anderson. Freddie Anderson for the eleven. For let's see, the Leafs are seven and five. He's played eleven. This will be his twelfth of thirteen starts. They played McElhaney one. They'll play. They're going to play McElhaney tomorrow in Los Angeles because it's the second of back to back. But after so after fourteen games, it'll be Anderson twelve, McElhaney two. Yeah, this is. I get that the, they feel like they need to bank these early season points, and, and I appreciate that, but you can't overuse a goalie like that. I know we said that last year, and last year it wasn't that much of a factor, but I think they are playing with fire here because he does still have a little bit of an injury history. Last year's 66 games were his most. It looks like if, you know, I'm not a math major, but he would play like 75 games probably this year. Uh, just a couple little notes. Is that here. right? Probably about about seventy five games that they went with this this rotation of like actually kept it the same. Yeah, yeah. If it was if twelve. Yeah, I mean, well, Probably. they have, they have they have fourteen back to back, so it would end up sixty eight and fourteen. If they okay. if they, if they play McElhaney in every back to back at least one game, he'll he'll end up with fourteen starts. Okay. I still I still think sixty eight is way too much for sixty eight. Too high though. It should be around 60 to 65, probably yeah. you know, say 60 and then 22 for the backup. And that's why I've contended that I don't think Curtis – Curtis McElhaney won his, one, his other game, the, the one game that he did start against Detroit. But I don't think Curtis McElhaney is a good, really a, a good backup goaltender. I think they have a better backup goaltender they picked up in the trade from Vegas and Calvin Pickard. Yeah. Um, one other one other note here. Um, Elliot Friedman just released his 31 thoughts. It's always packed with little nuggets of information. One that pops out. Um, Friedman reported on Saturday regarding the Edmonton Oilers and their search for a right winger. That essentially, I, it sounds to me like they're playing Dreisaitl on the right side with McDavid. They want to move Dreisaitl to center and have a right wing to add a right wing to either play with McDavid or play on the right side with somebody else so they can move somebody else to play with McDavid. Well, one um, uh, Friedman is reporting that Peter Chiarelli might use Jesse Pugliarvi as the, the enticing trade chip to acquire a right winger. Now, I, I the thing is – That's you know, it. Put a, no offense to Elliot. I hate, hate, hate. When you go to a website and it's all video. Yes. I'll, 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 I'll just read. I'll just read the. I'll just read the the thought here, just to not that I, not that I misconstrue anything that Elliot says. He says one. Uh, um, he talks about Pulleyarvi. That um, let's see here. Uh, he he had three assists in seven games with the with uh, with Bakersfield in the AHL. Uh, he might also be Chiarelli's most enticing trade chip. That's a big, big decision. And unless the Oilers are absolutely convinced it won't work for Pugliarvi and Edmonton, you got to think the player, got to think the player gets another NHL shot first. But I, thing is, is as we heard about um, Vancouver being interested in in Matt Duchesne and the speculation that Oli Ulevi was was the piece that they might dangle to tempt Colorado, a team that's looking for defense. Yeah, they still haven't traded him. 
No, they haven't traded him, and 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 it doesn't mean that Ulevi is not going to be a good NHL defenseman. Correct. It doesn't mean that Pugliarvi is not going to be a good NHL forward. But right. right now, Edmonton may perceive that they're closer than people think they are, and they need that that piece right now. And that would be the price to pay for it. I, I it's, it's not honestly, the price to pay for it. It's an idiotic price to pay when you consider what Pugliarvi could be. If you're yep. just patient, again, if you're looking for something, then trade Nugent Hopkins. That's that's well, what I mean. That, right. I mean, that's see, that's the thing that I, I especially with especially with so many teams out there, and they uh, I could use a center. He did, he did float the idea of them being interested in Kreider, and I would assume that if they're trying to make a deal with the Rangers, it would be Nugent Hopkins and something. Nugent Hopkins. Right, exactly, because Nugent Hopkins is making six million, but he doesn't have a lot yeah. a lot of term left in his deal. Kreider signed signed an extension last year. I think. 625 or something. Yeah. So I mean, they, they wouldn't be exact, but the, the there would be money going back, money going the other way. So, and and Nugent Hopkins would probably be a good number two center with them, a number one because they don't have anybody who's a number one right now. But so I want to read you a headline from the sure. October 29th Tennessean. Okay. Predators UC Soros experiencing early season struggles. Now. This is from an article from an Adam Vingan. I hope I'm pronouncing it right, but if I'm not, you're probably not going to like me anyhow, so it's okay. No, Adam, um, Adam, yeah, you got it right, Adam Vingan. Okay. The, the lead-in is UC Saros was a convenient scapegoat for the Predators', Predators painful loss to the Islanders on Saturday. Such a burden being of being a goaltender, particularly a backup who sporadically plays. That is his job. Sorry. Saros surrendered a career-worst six goals, some fluky, others iffy against the Islanders, dropping his record to 0-3-0 this season. Um, I'm sorry, but this has gone back to the Stanley Cup, and it, and it might be a mental thing now, but again, he's got a 4.36 goals against and an 8.17 save percentage. I don't think at this point people are picking on him. Those are the stats. That is the way it is. If he's like 0-5, you know, as great a year as Rene's having, the backup goalie could could be the difference of, of them making the playoffs. Yeah, especially if he's playing twenty to twenty five games. You yeah. know that it's going to. I mean, if he goes five and fifteen in those twenty games, yeah, you know they're they're in deep trouble. Yeah, and then now articles are starting to be written about it. And I told you I didn't like him starting the season. I get that they were loyal to him, but the the league has changed, and I think the league has changed and. Unfortunately, a goalie like Saros, a little bit on the smaller side, giving up too much up top, it's too much. Yeah. All right. Well, good show, Russ. Uh, we will be back tomorrow with another edition of the Hockey Buzzcast. We'll talk about the Oilers and Penguins and the other games in the league and whatever news that pops up. Uh, for Russ Cohen, I'm Michael Jello. Thanks for watching. And remember, without the buzz, it's just hockey. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.